I've noticed over the years that the last things people say tend to uh, carry a lot of weight for us, seem to be especially urgent and important. I, I can think of many times in the past when someone has said to me, you know, the last thing she said to me before she died was, or the last time I talked to her, this happened. And we, we put a lot of weight on those words that, are, that come at the very end. And what we're doing in this teaching series, looking at John 14, 15, 16, and 17, is actually looking at these final words of Jesus. Jesus has gathered with his disciples in a second-story room, an upstairs room in the city of Jerusalem. They are together celebrating the Jewish holiday of Passover. And uh, Jesus is there with these 12 guys that he loved, his disciples. Oh, the disciples, wow. There's so much they didn't understand. So dense sometimes, so naive, so blind to what was going on around them. It, but it's almost like, like Jesus had put all of his eggs in one basket, you know. In a few hours, he was going to die on the cross, and if the disciples didn't get it, if they didn't understand, if they didn't live it and teach it, then everything that Jesus had done, everything that he was going to do that next day, really would count for nothing. So there's Jesus in the upper room with the disciples. And right away, their pride and ego came out as they were there in the upper room, and there's no servant to wash the dirty, dusty, big calloused feet of those disciples. And each one of them saying, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I mean, it's not my responsibility. And so what happens? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So he goes over to them one by one. And the Bible says he takes a, a basin of water and a towel. And he gets down on his knees before each one of the disciples, and he washes their feet. And then in the quiet of that Thursday evening, Jesus talks to the disciples for the last time. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he cuts off. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You know, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. This brings glory to my Father. Would you bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples? As the Father has loved me, so also have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. You know, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I call you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. (laughs) No, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So this is my command. Love each other. As I read and reread this passage that quotes these words of Jesus, so many truths are important for us to understand there, but the, the one that really jumped out to me was this amazing thing that Jesus says. He offers us an invitation to enter into a friendship relationship with him. Let me read you verses 14 and 15. It says, you know, you're my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants. The servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about the God of the universe. Just a few minutes before that, when Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, remember? It says that after he had washed their feet, he went back to his place at the head of the table. And he said, you call me your Lord and Master, and you're right. That's who I am. See, Jesus wasn't denying who he was at all. Jesus was saying, in spite of that, I want us to be friends. I mean, here we have the eternal Son of God in human flesh. This is the God who created the universe. The Bible says, through him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the one who was able to say, before Abraham was... I am. Abraham had lived 2,000 years before Jesus. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Here is the eternal son of God, and he's offering this relationship to his disciples. Let's let's be friends. I I remember a few years ago, several years ago, I guess now, I shared with the congregation an experience that I'd had when I was in high school. I um, actually had been chosen to represent the state of Indiana at a government conference in Washington, D.C. And it was an amazing event, amazing experience. But the highlight of it was that the president of the United States, who at that time was, this is going to date me, isn't it, was John F. Kennedy, who was um, you know, a real hero of mine. I admired the guy so much. He came, we had a, a question and answer period with him, got to meet him individually. Um, at the close of that session. And then, uh, amazingly, the president, as I greeted him, and we talked for just a moment, invited me and another student to come to the White House the following day to have breakfast with him at the White House. And I remember saying, uh, whoa, this is, thank you, Mr. President, this is the biggest honor of my life, I can tell you. But Actually, I have this um, coupon for all-you-can-eat pancakes at IHOP that expires tomorrow, and uh, so I think I'm going to have to say no. And I remember telling that story, and there was this sort of audible gasp among the people who were there, and they weren't saying it out loud, but they were thinking, how stupid could a person be? Now, the story isn't true at all. None of it is true. 
but I thought it was a great parable to help us understand what I'm saying here that Jesus is saying to us. I mean, here is the God of the universe, the God who made you, whose breath fills your lungs. This God is saying to you, let's be friends. One of the sort of sad things that Sally and I have been discovering during these uh, last few years is that so many of the people with whom we have been close, close friends for decades are no longer with us here in Cedar Falls. A lot of them have moved out of town to be closer to their children or their grandchildren or just to avoid winter days in Iowa like today. And some have died. And one of the things that we've noticed is that over time, those relationships that were so close and important to us have just sort of devolved, you know? The friendship becomes more strained, less deep, less personal. And we've realized you have to be able to invest in a friendship. When you're not able to be together, when you don't talk, when it just comes a, you know, a Christmas letter or an email once in a while, that relationship, that friendship is going to suffer as a result of that. And I think Jesus is saying in this passage, in this conversation that he has with the disciples, that that's, that's going to be true for you too. If we're going to have this relationship of friendship, uh, you're going to have to invest in it. There are some things you're going to need to do. And so I think here Jesus is giving us some real indications, some steps that we can take about how to maintain that friendship with him. And, and the first thing that strikes me here is that Jesus says we need to, we need to be connected. You know, the word he uses a lot is, uh, is remain. You remain in me. Some translations say abide in me or even live in me. Um, it's a little hard to know exactly what that means. So I think Jesus gives us that graphic illustration to understand a vine and a branch. And what happens if the branch gets disconnected, broken off from the, from the vine? It's, it's worth nothing. It's thrown away, right? It's burned in the fire, Jesus says. We've got to be connected to the vine. Everything that that branch needs for life, it gets from the vine. The nutrients, the water, everything for life comes from that connection. And Jesus is saying, our friendship, this relationship that I'm inviting you into, also, it's going gonna, it's gonna to need some investment. We're going to have to stay connected it's not going to be enough for us to have that connection on Sunday morning and you, and you come to church or you're watching online and you hear those songs and you feel close to God and Jesus seems real and you're worshiping him. And then when it's over, you sort of set him aside and go about your week. You know? Jesus is saying it's the branch and the vine. They've got to be connected. And if they don't, they're not able to, to produce fruit. Now, the Bible talks about fruit in a couple different ways, but I think what Jesus is primarily talking about here are those Christ-like characteristics that ought to mark our lives as Christians. Paul describes those in the, in the book of uh, Galatians in chapter 5. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we're connected to Jesus, when we've got that friendship relationship, God is able to work in us to make us more like the vine, to make us more like Jesus. And Paul gives us his partial list, but I think there are more things than that even. That if we're going to be connected to Jesus, 
We're going to be producing fruit in our lives. Self-control, gentleness, patience, love, joy. So I think maybe if we're serious about having that kind of friendship relationship with Jesus, a good thing to do would be to kind of check how we're doing on bearing fruit that Jesus says is so important. You know, maybe, maybe once a year, I'm a big believer in, in New Year's resolutions. You know, maybe every year at the beginning of the year or every three months, you pull out that list the fruit of the Spirit, and you look at it, and you ask yourself, um, how, how am I doing? Am I, am I more patient now than I was a year ago? Do I have more self-control? Do I not get so angry, lose my temper? Uh, how am I doing on not lusting? How, how high is my joy level in my life? And I think one of the things that we can do is sort of measure and evaluate ourselves because if I'm connected to Jesus, if I'm living in that friendship relationship, then those things will be produced in my life. Now, let me add sort of a, a footnote to this, and that is I don't think that Jesus intends, it, intends for us uh, to judge other people by this. I don't every year pull out this list of the fruit of the Spirit and evaluate my wife on how she's doing on patience and self-control and joy and those sorts of things. But I ought to be doing that for myself. So if I want to accept that invitation from Jesus to live a, a life and a friendship and relationship with him, I need to be looking at how I'm doing on, on building fruit, allowing fruit to develop in my life. The second thing that Jesus, the second step sort of that Jesus talks about here in that friendship relationship really is communication. Do you notice how often he mentions his word in this passage? Let me read you a couple more verses. This is verse 3. And he says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That word clean, by the way, is the same word that he uses for prune, that the garter prunes the vine. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. In John 7, he says, now if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Jesus' word has to be in us if we're going to have that friendship relationship. Friendships are built on communication, aren't they? And how is God going to communicate to us through his word? And I think we're talking about the Bible here. I, I have hesitancy in, in one way of, about talking about this again, but I, we just, we've got to stress it. And that is that if we're followers of Jesus, the number one thing that we can do to grow in our relationship with him, our friendship with him, is be engaged with the Bible, with the word of God. And by that, I think it's more than just reading the Bible. I had a couple experiences of that back when I was in junior high school, my junior high Sunday school teacher said, anybody who reads the Bible through in a year, I will give them this really nice Bible handbook. So my friend Paul and I decided that we would read the Bible through. Sure enough, we did. She said, if you read three chapters a day, five chapters on Sunday, you can read through the Bible in a year. So we both did that, and we got that nice Bible book. But I don't think, I don't think I got anything out of reading the Bible that year. I wasn't reading it to learn to become more like Jesus. I was reading through it so I, could, so I could get this Bible commentary at the end of the year. And then sort of the same thing kind of happened in our junior high youth group. 
I, I've just got to say to junior highs and senior highs and college students, you don't have any idea how blessed you are to have the kind of youth program we have here at Orchard Hill. When I was in junior high, you know, we would meet together and we'd sit in folding chairs in a semicircle and somebody would read something and it was incredibly boring. But one of the things that happened when I was in junior high, they said for every chapter of the Bible you read, you get a point. Uh, I don't remember now what the points were for, but I wanted points. So we would meet on Sunday nights. So about five o'clock Sunday afternoon, I'd go, oh, I haven't read any Bible chapters yet. So I'd pull out the Bible. And here's a little bit of Bible trivia for you. At the end of the book of Psalms, there are like 20 Psalms that are all really short. They're like five or six verses. You can read a ton of them in just a couple minutes. So Sunday afternoon before I went to the youth group, I'd read through these psalms really fast so I could go and get points. Well, I may have gotten points with the youth group, but I don't think I got any points from God for that. You know. Just reading through the Bible, I don't think is what Jesus is talking about when he says his word has to abide in us. So I'm going to make a couple suggestions to you. And I know a lot of you at home watching, some of you here probably have said, I've tried that before. I've tried reading the Bible, and it just didn't work for me. It didn't make sense. It, it, I didn't understand it. I didn't even like it. You know, it made no difference in my life. And I, I can appreciate that. The Bible is a big, hard book to understand, but I think there are some ways we can approach it if we're really serious about living that connected life with Jesus in friendship that maybe will be a help to us. Uh, the first is, I think you need, to, you need to get a good modern translation. I'm, I'm betting a lot of you, some of you anyway, probably, have a King James Bible at home that your grandmother gave you when you turned 12 or something like that. And so when you think about reading the Bible, you pull out that old King James Bible, and it has sentimental value for you. But I don't think it has much else. So I would really encourage you to get a good modern translation of the Bible. The Bibles that we gave to the second graders is, is an NIV, New International Version. That's, uh, that's what we use primarily here at Orchard Hill Church. One of my personal favorites lately has been the ESV Bible, English Standard Version of the Bible. And you just look at this. I mean, this is probably the biggest book anybody's ever read, right? And, and it's scary to think about getting into it. But if you get a good modern translation, it's going to make it a lot easier. You'll at least understand the words, the words that they're saying. Secondly, I would say start easy. I've known a lot of people who said, all right, I'm going to try reading the Bible all the way through. And they start at the beginning in Genesis, and they get through Genesis and maybe through Exodus, and then they get to Leviticus and they die. It is so hard to understand. So I would say start, I would, oh, don't strike me with lightning, but I would say forget about the Old Testament for now. I would say stick with the New Testament for a while. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of Jesus' life. Read a couple of the letters that, that Paul wrote, like Philippians or, or James, the letter of James. You know, these are, these are pretty easy to understand, and, and they're, they're parts of the Bible that can really make a difference in your life. So I would say, you know, start easy if you can. And the third thing is, I think you're going to have to have help. Um, the Bible is just really hard to understand. And so you can actually buy, so a Bible like this is called a study Bible because it has a lot of things in it that will help you. 
And one of the things I like about this Bible is that when you buy it, you also get it online and you also get it audibly. So here's the way I often use it. I'm, I'll be going through a book of the Bible. I'll pull it up online and I'll have this audible, this guy read it. He has a really nice voice and he knows how to pronounce all the words. And I watch as he reads a couple of paragraphs and then I stop it. And then I look at the footnotes that sort of explain what I just heard. For me, at least, that is really helpful. There are a couple guys that I meet with every week who are kind of doing the same thing. You know, we're going through books of the Bible and we just, we'll read together a couple, couple paragraphs and then stop and talk about it. And if there are things we don't understand, we look at the footnotes to see what kind of explanation is given. I think that's what Jesus means, that kind of thing, when Jesus talks about his word abiding in us. That it's got to be more than just reading it. And I think it can be. So I would really encourage you to think about trying to engage with the Bible again. Even if you tried it before and it didn't work very well, I'd encourage you to try it. Get some help. Get a good uh, modern translation of the Bible. I think that will help you as well. The, the third thing that Jesus says is that we need to keep his commands. Several times in this passage... He talked about how key that is. Let me, let me read you. It says in verse 10, he says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in you. Oh, dear, here we go again. The church is going to talk about keeping all these little rules and laws. Jesus says... You know, the reason these are here, the reason my word is going to make a difference in you is because it's the way to have joy in life. I think most of us, when we think about the rules and laws that God gave, think about them as robbing us of joy. We're going to lose all the things that, re that we really love, that make us happy. And we're going to be stuck with all these negative kinds of laws and rules. Jesus says just the opposite. You, you want to know how to be happy? Keep my laws. They're meant to bring you joy in life. So, they're hard to understand, and there are a whole lot of them. And so Jesus says, okay, okay, let me just simplify it. Here's my command to you. Love each other. Pretty basic, isn't it? In fact, you remember Jesus earlier had been asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, well, it's, it's simple. Love God completely, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that, though? How do you know what the loving thing to do is? One of, the, one of the sort of new insights to me in these last several years has been realizing that the laws of God are really the ways that I express love. So how do I know how to express my love for God, to live for him? By following his, his rules, his commands. How do I know what love is going to look like with my neighbor? Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. But what's the loving thing to do? I think that God's laws, God's commands are meant to show us how we live. If I follow his commands, I can, I can express my love for God. If I follow his commands, I'll know how to live out a life of love for other people, for my neighbor. And I think Jesus pushes us in that direction. There have been a few times in my life when I have felt the friendship with Jesus so deeply in my life. It was the most 
important thing in life to me, and I hungered for more of it, and I just wanted to do whatever I could do to grow in that relationship. My relationship with Jesus isn't always like that, but I've tasted it. I know what it's like, and it makes me long for it again, to long to to have more of Jesus, to build a stronger relationship with him. And so I would say, on the basis of the word of God, the final words of Jesus himself, and on the basis of my personal experience, I would say, accept this invitation that Jesus offers to enter into a friendship relationship with him to be willing to work at and invest in that relationship so it doesn't just slide away, but grows stronger and more meaningful day by day. This is a really good time to think about this now as we're entering into this season that leads up to Easter, a time when Christians have been traditionally willing to to be a little more sacrificial and careful in their living. And I would say to you, maybe this is a great time for you to take a couple of those steps to grow in your friendship with Jesus. And if you know that that's what Jesus wants for you, if you know that that's kind of the relationship he wants to have with you, then I would say count on him to help you with it. It's not just up to you. Jesus, through his spirit, will be there to help you, to draw you closer to him. How utterly amazing that Jesus would call us his friends. I'd like for you to pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, when we think about you as a friend, we don't mean in any way to minimalize who you are. We believe that you are the eternal God, that you have always existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that we owe you absolutely everything every bit of obedience and loyalty and the fact that you then would be willing to say to us be my friend is is staggering to us i pray for myself i pray that i would understand what a difference that can make in my life i pray for these friends that that some of them would be willing to to invest in that relationship with you and discover the joy that you want to bring into their lives We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.